Hey guys, welcome to the Between Takes podcast. Today we have our dear friend Madeleine Pesh on the show and we get into a lot of great things about the industry, uh, including being obsessed with failure, pursuing your dreams, getting comfortable with all the no's and sticking to it. What's so incredible about this episode is Madeline is so intelligent, insightful, and driven, and you can really see why she's so successful in her career. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the show on the Himalaya app and follow us on the socials at Between Takes Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, Madeline. Hi, guys. Hi. Welcome Hi. to the show. Thank you for coming on. So happy to be here. Wow. Uh, everybody, we have the wonderful Madeleine Pesh today, and we're so excited. We're thrilled. She's amazing. She's a dear friend. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Hart, have you done your, one of these before for yourself? Because I feel like your story is so much more interesting than mine. <laughs> no, well, it, it, little by little, each episode we go, I sort of, I don't know, talk little bits and pieces about things, but I have not done an entire one just for my story now. Well, then we I'd should. like to practice this whole thing. But <laughs> when I met Hart, he had just, this was like his first paycheck. And he got out of living in his car. He had no cell phone to booking Riverdale. Yeah, like no, so, it's yeah. so much better than my story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I'm, you know, everybody's got their own unique like struggle and and path that they took. And um, yeah, mine was definitely a unique one. But it's, uh, yeah, I'm very, I was very blessed with how it all played out. I yeah. fully remember that you had a burner phone. It was like a phone yeah, my, out of a vending machine. Then my yeah my manager my manager got it for me to use because I didn't have I didn't have a cell phone I couldn't I couldn't pay my cell phone bill so I wasn't my service was cutting out and I was actually shocked that I got the call that I had booked the show because I thought my service had ended by that point and he called me and I was like hey I'm not going to be able to my service is going to end at any moment now um, I'm not going to be able to know when to go to like the set and any of that and he was like. Uh, look, I'll get you a phone. It's got like minutes on it. It was like a phone from like Walgreens or Walmart or something. And he was like, here, you'll, you'll be able to talk to production and know when you'll, you can, you, you'll go to set. And that's what I used the first like two weeks it was like this little plastic cheap phone was when they would say, Hey, your pickup time is whatever. So I remember, that. I remember yeah. That very well. Yeah. 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 I still have it. I still have that phone. I don't use it, but it's, it's, I still have it as like this, you know, uh, memory. It's great. You still have the same manager. I do have the same manager still. Sounds like a good one. Yes. He's great. So Mads, where did you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Washington state in a nice small little town. How was that? How small? How, how... So small. Like if you sneezed, your neighbor would hear about it. <laughs> like under 5,000 people. That's... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it got up to like maybe 8,000 now, but it was yeah. about when I lived there, I think. Got up to 8,000 now. Do you go back much? No. You have no family there? I, my parents are still there. I'll go back to see okay. them exclusively. Yeah. yeah. If I walk around in the town, like my anxiety gets really high. And so I just stay at <laughs> my parents' home. I get it. I get it. How Is big the, was your, the schools? Uh, I went to, I mean, like the same kids in elementary and kindergarten and junior high. And then I actually left the public school system and went like 45 minutes away to a bigger town, like a city called Tacoma. And did went to an arts high school there because my small town wasn't um, super supportive of me. Of course. Of course. How'd you know you wanted to do it? 
I don't, you know, it's so funny. I asked my mom this the other day because I was curious. And she said that when I was six, I had already started doing dance and theater. And I just walked up to her and said, I'm going to be an actress one day. And so at that point, like, I just, I, I guess I just knew what I was supposed to be doing. And so I just told my parents and they did everything they could to support me. I was very yeah. lucky. It's, it's, it's such a, a, a big thing to have that support around you, yeah. especially in a town that doesn't, doesn't offer it, you know, that support uh, communally. I mean, I went to a community theater, which is where I think I discovered my love for it. And then, which was in the small town. And I'm just so lucky that my parents put everything into like every last penny of theirs into me going to dance classes, which is so expensive and to doing community theater to pay for the outfits. And they were just so supportive of me. Even when I moved here to LA, they were just so financially supportive of me. And physically, I don't know if I could have done it without that support. Have your parents ever come out to visit you here? Yeah, they haven't seen my new house because I got it literally in the pandemic. But yeah, they've been out here plenty of times. Congratulations. Thank you. No one's seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, it's great. I love it. It's so, um, it's very homey. I like it. I mean, trying to get furniture in the middle of a pandemic, guys. Rough. Ooh, I can imagine. Wow, that's my complaint. Then I think I'm fine. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, right now I'm good. (laughs) But that's so cool that you knew you wanted to do it from when you were a little kid. Like, I feel like it's rare to know that early in your life what you want to do. Yeah. And so because of that, I was able to pivot all of my focus onto what made me happy at such a young age. So I kind of always knew what my goal was. So when I went to high school, there's like the obvious choice of going to a public school and doing the regular classes. But my parents found an arts high school. And I went to an arts high school and like there was still art, all the normal um, curriculums, but there was also such a big focus on art. So I did theater and dance all the time there. It was kind of, I think, what allowed me to have the independence to move to L.A. at 18 because it was an open campus concept. Anyone in L.A.? Did I know? I, I don't think I did. But I, when I was 16 years old, I did this really weird competition where you like come to L.A. with your parents and like you dance and you act for like as a monkey in front of all these people. And then you get like oh manager meetings and like the, all that cheesy shit that you see in yeah. movies that actually happens. And they charge you an arm and a leg, but yep. they gave me the free one because they're like, we believe in her. But everyone else was paying. It was so weird. Um, and I, I found my first agent and manager through that. So I would come down kind of routinely between 16 and 18 to do auditions and meetings. My mom would take me for like a month. My school was supportive. They actually gave me credit for it, which is crazy and never booked anything because I sucked. And then, uh, at 18, I think with the confidence that I'd been here enough times, that I felt comfortable. And then when you, when you moved, did you move into a place by yourself? Um, my best friend of 10 years from back home moved in with me. And we got this really crazy place in Koreatown. And I didn't know the neighborhoods very well. And I didn't understand that the street that I lived on, it was 3rd and Lafayette. Apparently, that is like a very big gang territory. And I've never been to Rampart Village, but I lived in Rampart Village. And so I would have to like race into my, my driveway every night and like hide in my car. It was very sketchy and scary. I did not know what I'd signed up for. But um, I mean, I was there for, I think, a year and a half or two years in that place. And that's so cool though, now that you have your own house and you can look back on that and be like, those moments sort of defined you for who you yeah. are now. I, mean, I worked in a hookah lounge. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> we can no talk about way. that the whole time. I want to hear those stories. <laughs> I have stories for you. I, I had like probably 40 jobs before, like regular jobs before I booked anything that I could pay my rent. Yeah, tell me, tell me about those. I want to hear about those. Because <laughs> I had a lot of, I had a lot of like random jobs too. Well, so yeah, it's like bills, right? I mean, my parents yeah. didn't want to help me, but you know, they're not loaded. Well, um, I haven't heard any of those jobs, so I want to hear them. <laughs> when I first moved here, 
my girlfriend got this job at this really creepy cigar uh, shop, cigar restaurant. I think they called it called Grand Havana. Have you guys heard of this place? No, but I know what you're talking about, where you go and you just like have a cigar. Right, so I want yeah. this job because she was getting paid really well and like you got tipped really well. And I was like, I want that job too. I got hired at a hookah lounge in Glendale, which is like the opposite of a gentleman's cigar lounge. <laughs> and, like, start hookahs for people and like run out food. And if you like made the wrong food order, they would take it out of your, your paycheck. They would pay you based on if they liked you or not, not on how many hours you worked. So they could love you and pay you like $600 cash or they could hate you and pay you a hundred dollars and you can work more than the person who got a six hundred dollar no way wow uh, how's that legal yeah i don't know what was happening in the back it was so, I, i'm sure that when my dad came to visit he was like you need to quit here i think this is an illegal practice yeah so i was like okay dad <laughs> did they did they like you did you get paid well or no i can be sassy at times yeah and uh, I didn't like that they were mistreating some of my coworkers. And so I would talk back. And so I think they didn't like that very much. That's awesome that you stuck up. That's so cool. I, I thought it was so fucked up. I remember this, this really cute girl. Um, I won't say her name, obviously, because I don't know if she was in LA. But she was so sweet and so kind. But she was like, just not as fast as this other girl. And yet the other girl would work way less and get way more cash in her, in her check and, or in her envelope and they would always have us open them together so we would like know who like the oh. best was and yeah. it's like the girl worked so much and got paid like literally three hundred dollars for like seven days of like 10 hour shifts and then this other girl would get like two thousand dollars they would keep all of our tips i mean it was the craziest craziest uh. thing and so i'd always yell at them i'm like what the hell you guys <laughs> like <laughs> i barely work it's fine but she works so much more. <laughs> well good for you i love that we gotta shut that place down <laughs> I mean, like when we're offline, guys. Also, we can go visit. Uh, <laughs> I'm in. Where did you? Where? How? Where did you work after that? Did you work? How I, long were you there? I worked three jobs when I was working that job. So I did that from like 5 p.m. to midnight most days was the shift that I'd have, and then to go to sleep for six hours. I'd wake up and go open a coffee shop from like 6 a.m. to noon, and then I'd have like the middle of the day usually to do auditions or classes or whatever, and then go back to the hookah lounge at night. And then I also did like remote retouching for a photographer at home in all of my spare time. Wow. Guys, that's insane. I know. That was just I one. I love that. I always had a million jobs. I used to do like brand ambassador work. Are you guys familiar with that? Yeah. Where you like yeah. stand on the corner and hand out free samples of things. Right. Yeah. I used to do a lot of that. That pays really well, actually. That would be like I'd go for a weekend and make like a grand. Like at festivals or yeah, like I worked at yeah. one year handing out secret yeah. newsprint. <laughs> <laughs> you get sweaty. I mean, I feel like all the people were on drugs, so like give them secret deodorant. <laughs> that's amazing. That's good so cool. That, that's such a good hustle, Mads. That that's really I love hearing that. Yeah, hustle was made really real. And then I booked a Honda commercial. That was your first thing? My first I got tapped heart lead into it, which I mean for people who don't know basically means that you're like allowed into the union and that kind of gives you your step into sag um and i made like a pretty good check off of that and i was able to quit the hookah lounge because of that and then i kept working as a photographer's assistant for two and a half more years until i broke out wow yeah. so you were just Did always you, hustling always grinding always i still am though like yeah a different hustle and grind like i'm always moving and Hart and i talk yeah. about this all the time we're always finding something to do and keep us occupied absolutely way but yeah. Anything, anything not to be bored. 
Yeah, I mean, like you and I talked about this. Hart's never bored. He said he's never been bored a day in his life. Can you believe it? <laughs> I, I believe it. I was doing that before this today. <laughs> I woke up and worked out with Alex Fine this morning at like ungodly hours of 8 a.m. during the quarantine. Who does that? Wow. I get angry if I take a nap. I never take a nap on purpose. I'm blown <laughs> by this information. I can see you getting mad in your own sleep part, like just angry that you're actually. I just sleeping. I wake up and I'm so furious that I like dozed off at some yeah. point. If, he wakes up from a nap sometimes and gets sad that he's gonna die. Yeah, I do. I do. I get a, a full panic. It's like I don't realize I'm gonna die until I wake up from an accidental nap, <laughs> and that's when I realize, like, oh my god, I'm mortal. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, there's an end. I always say that, like in my head, oh my God, this, I'm gonna die. There's an end. And then after like a minute, I relax and I go, ah, it's okay. Everything's all right. And then I get to work. I love that. I think that's, that was a very, a very um, enduring moment that we had. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you came out to LA, you worked all, all the jobs. So then what happens? Like you get on Riverdale, but I'm sure that was a whole experience. Like what was that audition process like? What happened? I feel like it's important to clarify that I did take classes all the time out here. Like, I think one thing, like I sometimes routinely check my DMs if I'm really bored to see, because people like to ask questions about this kind of stuff. And one thing I get asked a lot is how often I took classes. I was in a Meisner technique class five days a week for like four hours a day. So in that middle chunk of time where I wasn't working, I was either doing that or skipping it to audition. And then on weekends, I was taking like scene study classes or audition prep because it's like, even when you're a good actor or you have like the natural ability, auditioning and acting are two completely different mediums, in my opinion. Like when you walk into a room, you have to know how to work people to love you. Whereas once you're already on set and you've got the job, it's just such a different thing. So I think that's an important, if this is all about the industry, it's so important to mention that the classes were a huge vital part for me and having a fantastic coach to run lines with and stuff. I agree. And I think it's, I think being in classes, I was doing master classes before I got Riverdale as well. And I think, A, you are getting a lot better as an actor and you're working that muscle, but you're also putting it in your wheelhouse. Like it's just in, it's so, you're surrounding yourself in this atmosphere of something that you want to be and want to be a part of. And I think that's so important. Yeah, I would agree with that hundred percent. Even if I don't like walk around every day with Meisner technique in my head for every audition, there are still pieces that I took away from those two years to utilize in my everyday, like emotional preparation work is the, have you done Meisner before Cameron? I have. Yeah. Emotional preparation work is like the craziest thing in the world, but it has helped me so much be able to, even if I don't know I'm utilizing it, utilize it in the moment. And I'll look back and be like, holy shit, I didn't even realize I was pulling from this or whatever. Yeah. I don't even think people understand how difficult it actually is to get to those places. You know? I'm now like, I'm lucky enough that like, I don't know when this shift happened because when I booked Riverdale, I was convinced I couldn't cry on camera. I was convinced I couldn't cry in front of people. And now all I do is cry in front of people all the time. I'm sure yep. I've cried in front of you a hundred times in real yep. and on the show. Yep. <laughs> like these queer ducks are overactive. They just want to flow all the time. So <laughs> funny because I feel like from booking this show, I was able to gain a confidence in me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I feel like that's maybe a huge reason why I was able to tap into that. Because I was quite closed off to it before. And then through like the avenue of booking the show and like kind of having the validation of like, oh. I am good enough. I was able to open up this whole new wheelhouse inside of me as well. Yeah. Which I, I feel like it's, that's the hardest part. I think of being an actor is, is um, having confidence through all the no's. That's like yeah. the hardest thing. Cause even now I get no's all the time. I used to be obsessed with the no's. I, I had a, uh, a, a journal 
and I would write down every audition that I didn't get and I would write down who got it. And yeah, yeah, no way. <laughs> I had like, I remember I would, I would keep count of all the auditions I had before I booked my big job. Yeah. And then I learned through therapy that that's an unhealthy way to try to control something. I learned that too. So I stopped, yeah, I stopped doing it. Yeah, um, and then like probably three months before I stopped, I booked Riverdale, or after I stopped, I booked Riverdale. Yeah. And then there was a time where I also, there's a feature on IMDb Pro where you can like make a list. So I made a list of all these like projects and like would check and see who like got it. And it was, it was, it was a bit unhealthy. Yeah. It's um, like, I'm obsessed with something that much. I don't think that that's that's healthy. Like it's still an art form. It's still a craft. And now that I've gotten more into the writing side and producing, you see all the elements of people don't get cast all the time and how many people there are. And it's so not personal, but it's so hard not to take it personally. Yeah, I agree. You put all yourself out there. It's hard no matter what it is. A hundred percent. It's like, especially as an actor or an artist of some sort, when you're putting yourself on the line of being incredibly vulnerable in an audition, and then you don't get the call you're like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And it's just like in a relationship where when you're vulnerable with somebody, it feels, and they reject you, it feels like it's a you thing. It's the same thing in auditions and it's about training your brain to not take it personally. It's very hard. Yeah, you have a, um, you have a very good, from when you and I have done tapes, you have a, what seems, and I'd love for you to go into it, how, what, what your process is like, but your, um, your work ethic is incredible because we would, I mean, when, when we would do a tape, you're, you're always, you're firing on all cylinders. You'll do like one or two takes and you, it's like, you're in the room. You're very, you're very prepared and it's, it's very admirable. So walk us through your process. What, how, what, how, what do you, you, you get your sides and then what do you do? That's very sweet of you. Um, I cannot do a tape without a script. It's just something I feel like it's so important to have all of the information or at least like some kind of blurb of what's going on before the scene, after the scene, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'll read a script anywhere between three and five times before I do a tape, like a full script. And I'll first read, like I'll do a full pass on just overall thoughts on the script. Then I'll do a second pass on like kind of dissecting the characters. I'll do a third pass on the character itself that I'm looking at. And then if I feel like I need to do more, I will. And I'll kind of look at the scenes and and characteristics that I think would make sense for that character and and mannerisms and things of that nature. Um, In fact, I actually just did one yesterday. And I think I have probably four or five different pages filled with stuff just from the script alone. And that's, I think I'm such a, I need to write everything down. I'm such a note taker. And I think from having so many jobs, it's so important to me. Like it was so important to me to have such a good work ethic because I had to, to make money. So I feel like I've kind of translated that into this. Um, From reading scripts, I just start looking at the audition scenes. And after you've read a script, you know, two or three times, you feel comfortable enough with the material that you don't have to like overanalyze the audition scene. Because that's what I think was my biggest mistake is I used to like obsess over lines and over the audition scenes and be so memorized backwards and forwards that I knew it, I could memorize, I could say it now still. And that's, that takes away the spontaneity of reading with somebody. It takes away the like finding of the words like a normal person would. Um, and so I feel like when you're more familiar with the entirety of the work and not just the scenes, it makes it more authentic in a weird way. Yeah. So then I'd get a script, I get the scenes and then wing it with the person I, I, I honestly I make my choices before like you would come in or I'd read it with my coach or whatever but for the most part I like to feel it in the moment impossible that this has ever happened but have you ever had a bad audition oh my god what yes of course. <laughs> not 
had a, a every actor on the planet has had bad auditions. Of course, but you you seem to really set yourself up for not having something go terribly wrong. Like it well, seems I mean, that comes with time, of course. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Like from trial yeah. and error. I remember David Rappaport casts Riverdale, and he's just yep. the most fantastic man ever. And he'd see me ten times before he cast me on Riverdale. And you know that's the thing too is creating a rapport with casting directors where they can trust you. He saw me do solid work eight times. And that's when he was like, oh, I've seen her consistently do a great job with everything I send her. I feel comfortable sending her to producers now, if that makes sense. Sure, so, yeah. In this relationship with them where you're like, hey, nice to see you again. How was last week's Green Lantern rat read or whatever it is? And then they feel comfortable with you to put you through to people that are like their bosses or whoever, their coworkers. Um, but yeah, my first audition was terrible. It was for a student film. Well, actually, my first first audition was for tape for this, that show, Good Christian Bells. And it was so bad. My tape was, and it wasn't even like, the acting was good. It was just that I didn't know how to do a self tape. And I did it with my mom at home in Washington. Like my agent said to me when I was 16 years old, I had no idea what I was doing. So I kind of did my best. And I think my agent was like, yeah, yeah, we'll send it through. And then like two years later, he was like, yeah, like it just wasn't right. You know? And so then when I got here, the question was for a student film at UCLA. And I was so nervous and it was this like really badass chick. And I was like, yeah, I can play badass. Like I got this. And so I walk into the room and I like was really going to sit down on this chair. I made a decision in the room. I was like, I'm going to sit in the middle of the scene. And I missed the chair completely. I fell onto the floor and it's like <laughs> being a normal person and just like stopping and saying, let me start over. I just continued the scene from the floor. <laughs> I was firm there. Um, and then they <laughs> through the rest of my scene told me I could leave. <laughs> No way. Uh, <laughs> and then I went home and cried. And I was like, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> My first, the first thing I booked when I moved to LA was a USC student film. Really? Never did yeah. a student film. I always yeah. wanted, I feel like there's like, it's so weird because I feel like you look at so many actors and their IMDb profiles and it's like the resume is so like, they have steps, right? Like they have like the, the CSI or one of those crime scene procedural shows and they've got the student films and like the shorts or whatever. And I'm, I'm not mad that I skipped all those steps. Like, I'm very thankful. But at the same time, I feel like I missed those, like, those kind of nuanced pieces. Yeah. And went straight for network television. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has, like, a crazy way of how they used to self-tape and do tapes and stuff. Like, I used to stack Cheerio boxes and then, like, put a GoPro on the top and then record the other side of the lines and just try and, like, no one read with me. I was just listening to myself. To yourself, then- yeah talking to myself and that never worked out for me um that makes sense yeah, yeah. so don't do that boxes or any cereal um or is cheerio like your lucky it was your lucky <laughs> i think i like i don't even remember it was like lucky charms i'm talking uh, and then tricks and then the whole it was great cereal to look at as i was doing the <laughs> tapes but there's something about a person there that even if it's just a reader that changes your energy i feel like though definitely now, do you guys like tapes better or do you like being in the room better? I'm so curious. Uh, 100% in the room. Yeah, room. room. Yeah, I don't, I do not enjoy tapes. And that's, I mean, I, f- I feel like with everything going on with the pandemic and everything, I mean, we're going to shift more into a lot more tapes than being in the room, which I am a little nervous about um, because I like being in there with someone and either a casting director I've worked with before that I have a relationship with or someone new and just sort of figure, you know, yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot. And being able to talk 
and ask something like it right there. And I, I like that a lot. I've, yeah. Well, I think there's something too about try, like there's something very charming about going in the room. Cause it, there's, it still feels slightly old school in a weird way, because of course everything can be done virtually now, but I, I love going in the room. I think it's a great way to create relationships with people. It's a great way to like, you know, then if you run into your favorite costume director who does like your favorite TV show out of supermarket, you like now know that person which is, again, such an LA thing to think. But, you know, I I love the room so much. I think tapes can be so strange because you can't get notes during tapes. So I oftentimes will send like two or three takes of stuff if I can't decide which version I like. And you just yeah. let your man, like your manager or agent decide or you... No, I, tell, I ask them to send everything. Oh, okay. You send, you send three takes to them. Yeah, depending on what it is. Like sometimes I've sent two or whatever i mean or sometimes it's very clearly one and then my manager will message me and be like can you actually edit it together this way and i will but if it's not clear and there's like two kind of obvious choices to me that the character can be i'll send both and say like hey if they resonate with either of these i'm happy to redo the whole tape like that or whatever i'm pretty open it's a very collaborative thing obviously there's a writer involved there's a director involved and that's one of the kind of first things i had to learn about acting is it's like yes your perception of the character you have to take that and run with it. And at the same time, it's like, there's somebody who wrote that character and somebody who's directing that character. And so it's kind of, a, it has to be a collaboration. And that's why notes in the room are so important, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's that experience of going in, showing your work and then walking out and you just have that feeling of like, I feel like I did a good job. And you can go on with your day knowing that you did something, something good, yeah. right? And now you're making I, tapes at home and you're, you know, you're editing it together. And then you can also sit here and you can fine tune and you can critique yourself over and over again. Whereas you go in the room, you leave it all in the room and you walk out. And then you're done. Oh. I agree. You yeah. know, now I've got all these tapes on my computer that I, I see the name of and I've got to like sit and delete or whatever, you know, it's so much easier to just set it and forget it. Yep. hundred percent. I agree. Same I do though. like, I, I have some of my, like on a hard drive, some of my really early tapes and they're hilarious like to watch. And it's like, Oh my goodness. What was and, I doing? Like, I think it's so funny. Again, when I moved here, like I knew what I was put on this earth to do. And I truly believe I'm meant to be an entertainer and a performer, but just because you're, you're, you've got natural ability or whatever it is, does not mean you are good at auditioning. Like I said, it is a fully different craft. Like, yes, Definitely. there's also acting involved, but auditioning is like a whole other beast. So I, I, I would not want to see some of my old tapes. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I used to, <laughs> I used to like actually go home and try and work on my heart rate because I would walk into audition rooms and my heart rate would spike so much that like I would start sweating and I was like, I need to work on this or I'm not going to be able to, to, to keep doing this. because I was so focused on how elevated my heart rate was because I got so nervous in these rooms. So I had to figure that out. And, and now I have it under control, obviously, but you know, I, I have that for a while. I think it took a, a good amount of auditions to relax and just go, Hey, this is, this isn't scary. Like this yeah. is a fun thing. This is an exciting thing. And they want to find someone for this role. The best thing I ever learned was that casting directors have to audition in their own way to get the job of casting that project. So like I learned that like, if, unless you're like a David Rappaport who always works with Greg Berlanti and like, so they have a good rapport, casting directors will go in after reading a script and pitch what they think the characters are like and see if they'd vibe with the people who are putting the project together. Yeah. That made me feel like, oh, we're in this together. Like you need, you need me just as much as I need you. Mm. That made me kind of subtle, but also using your nerves in the room is very helpful to me. Like no matter what, there's always going to be some sort of energy in there that's exciting and people want to see and watch. And I've never not been nervous a day in my life on set. And that to me yeah. is like, 
that's the way it should be. Like, I'm still excited to be on set every single day. I'm still nervous right when I hear rolling and then I snap into it and I'm fine. But that's how, that's how you know you're still passionate about your job, like that you're still obsessed with it. I'm, I still love what I do every single day and I'm craving it and miss it so much right now. I know. What do you think? Where, where do you think we're headed with this? Do you, do you, you know, when we'll, I mean, obviously you don't, but like, what, do, how do you feel? What do you think? I mean, it's so, I, it, there's two parts of me. Cause one, it's obviously, I want everyone to be safe. We're in the middle of a pandemic, but also right. I don't, I, I'm not a scientist, but I don't foresee this clearing up anytime soon. I, I do, I do think this is going to be quite a long process for coronavirus to be completely you know, rid of this earth. I don't think that, that might not ever happen. Right. And there have to be new protocols around how we run things, obviously, but I know there are rapid tests. So I know they're talking about, at least SAG put out something saying that, you know, for intimate scenes, they'll do rapid testing on the day to make sure somebody doesn't have coronavirus. And then for the most part, it's just kind of, it seems like they're going to be winging it, which scares me 10%. And then it's just kind of like 90% such as life. Right. You know? Got to yeah. keep moving forward. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't, I'm more worried about crew members. Like, you know, there's so many fantastic crew members who can skew a little older or maybe unhealthy, you know, a lot of crew members smoke or whatever. And so those are the people I'm concerned about. I'm healthy. You know, I don't, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to perpetuate the coronavirus any longer than it's already on the planet either, but I'm more worried about the people who are behind the camera. Sure. Yeah. And they, it, there's always you, I mean, from, my experience, I've mostly shot indoors. I've done some outdoor stuff, but a lot of my stuff has been right. on a set. Yeah. And you're, yeah, you're so, a lot of that crew is so crammed in a space, like right next to each other. So I, I worry about them as well. Yeah, I'm not sure how we're going to move forward, especially with Riverdale. I don't, you know, there's talks of when we're going to go back, but we have no idea. I'm also hearing that, like, I might be shooting a movie in August. I have no idea. Um, you know, we're just kind of fingers crossed, right? Yeah. I guess we'll see. Well, who knows? Such yeah. a bummer. I don't want to keep dwelling on this. We can, we can glaze over it like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, uh, what advice would you give to your younger self who was working all those jobs and how you were feeling at that time to where you are now? Like, do you feel like you would give someone in that position now, you know, some sort of advice or, I mean, I always think there's so many nights I spent so upset when I was younger and when I was working all those jobs thinking like, did I make the right decision? And I never, it's funny because a lot of people always say like, I, I just thought about quitting before I booked my big thing. I never thought about quitting. And I knew in my heart of hearts that as long as I continued trying to pursue my dreams to the best of my ability for the rest of my life, I would have been happy. Even if that meant I was working at a coffee shop until I was 50. Like I just wanted to pursue what made me happy. Um, so I don't know if I would change anything that I went through. I'm really happy that I did and I'm happy I had the mentality I had and created such a hard worker inside of me. But I think to someone else in my position, I would kind of tell them to settle a little bit and, and enjoy the beats and relax and like use this time when you're not super busy on a TV show to get life experiences so you can use those when you are on the TV show or where you are in the movie. And that's something I'm happy I did too is I didn't like halt my life. I still did things and gained experiences um, that I could now use in my craft, which is so important. Like you want to live to be an actor so that you can, you can be another life. You want to show life. You have to be able to live first. I said, never give up. You never. Unless you want, 
And yeah, I, yeah, unless- <laughs> what did someone say to me once? If you could do anything else other than act, then you should. So like, if you could be happy doing something else then you should do that, because it's going to, it's going to fucking suck sometimes. That's really good advice. Honestly. Yeah. It's really, really, really good sharp. advice. That's really true. Yeah. Because there's just, I mean, it, a lot of people who listen to this probably aren't from LA, but if you walk in LA, any room you're in, 80% of the people in there are actors. That's just what LA is. So if you could do something else and be happy doing it, go do it. Because there's a lot of competition here and you you have to be comfortable understanding it might take a long time. Yeah, I agree. Stay down the law. I like it. Yeah. Well, awesome. that's, thank you. For us, <laughs> Get everyone else out of here. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you. You're amazing. Yeah, of course. Anything wonderful for and anything for you Kim. thank you <laughs> <laughs> i hope to actually see you soon and hang out that'd be great yes i know i mean i run into you like randomly like twice a year i know yes. but this guy oh uh, well, i don't know we'll, I'll, we'll make it happen yeah we'll actually we'll do it in person <laughs> and we'll hang out it'll be great well thank you guys yeah. for this was a nice little time of You're course awesome. thanks man congrats on the house be safe thank you you too guys all right <laughs> bye bye, bye.